We're talking today uh, from the book of James, chapter 1, as we just read. One of the things that James touches on, one of the many here in this text, is deception and deceiving ourselves and what that looks like. Um, I, want, I want to tell you a story, and, and I, think I've, I think I've told this before, but um, there's enough of you that probably didn't hear it then or forgotten or what have you, so it's okay to repeat, okay? Um, but, uh, but a few, few, a couple years ago, right in the, right in the thick of, of 2020, um, when, when things were kind of shutting down, um, we discovered Netflix. And one of the things we discovered on Netflix was um, uh, documentaries. And one of the documentaries that we discovered was this documentary called Free Solo. Anybody ever heard of it? Free Solo? Okay, so let me tell you a little bit. There's this guy by the name of Alex Honnold, okay, and Alex Honnold is a climber, rock climber, and one of the things that he does that sets him apart from other rock climbers is he climbs free solo. Now, there's a difference between solo and free solo, okay? So solo is where you climb, but you're attached to a rope, okay? So if you climb and you miss grab or something like that, there's this rope that catches you. You will free fall until that rope catches you. Anybody want to go? Okay, so that's soloing. But free soloing is where you don't even have that rope. And so you go and you climb these climbs and these mountains and these cliffs, right, with nothing attached to you. So if you slip and fall, <laughs> it's a bad day. On one, on one hand, right, but if you're a believer, it could be a great day. You go into glory, right? I mean, hallelujah, okay, right? Um, so it's free, free soloing. So the free means... There ain't, there ain't nothing there, right? You're, you're, you're free. And, and, so, and so Alex Honnold, there's a, um, there's a place, and I'm, I'm forgetting the name of it, um, but uh, uh, anyway, there's a cliff in, in Yellowstone National Park um, where, where he climbed, I think it's like 3,000 footer, I think it was a 3,000 footer that he free soloed, and this whole documentary was him free soloing. Now, I watched it and was blown away right? Blown away by this thing. And just thought, wow, this is awesome. Me, never. But this dude, this is amazing, right? So then I thought, well, I want, I want the kids to see this. Like, I think this is, this would be a great documentary as a family to watch. And so, you know, you know, we, 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 we later on, um, Kristen made it about three minutes in and then she was disengaged because she was just terrified by this person that was doing all of this. Right. But then I had two of my kids that were just glued to the TV and, and, and one in particular that was like, daddy, we got to go free soloing. Like, we've got to do this thing. And so, and so we would drive 295 kind of towards the Freeport area. And, you know, right on the side of 295, there's, there's some cliffs. They're maybe only like 20, 25 feet high. And so we'd be driving up to Freeport or up north on 295. And, and, and the kids in the back seat would be like, Daddy, let's go free solo that, that, that cliff right there. Pull over. Let's go, let's go solo. And I'm like, okay, like I could do that. So fast forward, me and one of the kids were in Bar Harbor. A few months later, and we were up there climbing and doing some, uh, doing some hiking and, and stuff. And, and there was one place where you could kind of have the freedom to solo a little bit. It was about a 10, 15 foot wall. It was not excessive at all. Okay. 
And we got about halfway up. I'm saying 10, 15. So I'm about seven or eight feet off of the ground. I am myself off the ground. Okay? One body length. Okay? And, and, and I froze. I froze. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing here. But, but, I, could, but I was with one of the kids. And so I couldn't let them know that I was absolutely terrified and praying that Jesus would come back in that moment <laughs> and relieve me from this responsibility of finishing this climb. Have you ever looked at something and said, oh, I can do that, no problem, and gotten in the middle of it and said, yikes, I can't do this. You don't have to raise your hand, but thank you, <laughs> thank you for your hum humility, brother. Or maybe you got in the middle of it and said, yikes, I can't do this alone. I'm going to have to ask for help. I did that, um, well, anyway, no, 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 I did that with uh, the first toilet I tried to change out. <laughs> that was a smelly evening, um, right? But one of the biggest signs of maturity, as James talks about here, is knowing your limitations. Being able to look at something and say, you know what, I would love to climb that thing, but here are the tools that I'm going to need to climb it. One being a rope. So that if something happens, I slip and I fall. And just know, and, and, and let, me, let me, full disclosure, because we've got some kids in the room and we've got some teenagers that might actually go out the side this afternoon and try to do some things. Alex Honnold did not start free soloing the afternoon after his pastor told a story. We'll let boys. Okay? He... There was a process, there was a training period where, that he went through, right? He didn't just go and start, start climbing these cliffs without ropes overnight. There was a process, there was a training period for him to get there, right? But many, and, and I just tell you that story because I look at things now where 15 years ago, yeah, no problem, let's go, let's do this thing. I'm all in, and now I look and say, okay, how many days am I going to be on the couch after I do this, can I do this and stay chiropractor free, right? Can I do this? And right, so, so those, those are the things that go through my mind now, whereas my kids are like, daddy, let's just, let's just go do this. Let's go. Come on, come on. Right. And so, and so there's a little, I would like to think there's a little bit of maturity now in me. Right. But that's the biggest sign of one of the biggest signs of maturity is knowing our limitations, knowing when we need to ask for Help, because the whole point of this section is self-deception. Self and, and the reality when it comes to deception is this, this, is that deception bites us, doesn't it? Because we'll get halfway up a 15-foot wall and realize I've bitten off more than I can chew here, and it bites us. It's the immature person who pretends that there's something that they aren't and deceives themselves. And maturity, when it comes down to it, growth and maturity only come from the Word. If we are rightly related to Scripture, God's truth, the Word of God, then we can't be dishonest with ourselves or with each other. We can't be hypocritical because the Bible doesn't contradict itself. And in these verses, James states that we have three responsibilities to the Bible when it comes to maturity. And the first one is this, receive the word humbly. 
Or as James puts it in the, in the ESV, or the ESV puts it, with meekness. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. One of, one of everyone's favorite verses, right? Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And so we receive the word humbly. One of the final tests of salvation, our relationship with Jesus, is fruit. That means, that means part of our fruit is a changed life. And part of that changed life, where we see that, where we see the fruit of that, is full surrender. Not partial surrender, not mostly surrendered, full surrender. And so the fruit of knowing Jesus, the fruit of relationship with Jesus might be introducing people to Jesus. It might be holiness, righteousness, right standing with God. It might be sharing possessions, material things. It might be growing character. It might be good works, etc. It might be serving in the church. Nonetheless, the word of God can't work. Everybody say can't. Just making sure you're with me. Can't work in our lives unless we receive it in the right way. Let me say that again a little bit differently. The Bible can't work in your life unless you're hearing it in the right way. Unless you're listening to it. Amen? Mark 4.24, Jesus said, pay attention to what you hear. Luke 8.18, Jesus says, to take care then how you hear. To take care in hearing. Jesus talks a lot. We just went through the book of Mark and Jesus, and Jesus repeatedly is repeating himself and trying to tell them stories. Later on in Matthew, he talks about how he, why he told in parables, why he, why he spoke in parables, because, because the, 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 his hearers were so hard of receiving what he was trying to say that telling stories helped him. Too many people are tragically listening for information when it comes to the Bible, instead of hearing and putting into practice for the purpose of transformation. We attend church, we attend small groups, but never seem to grow. So how do we do this? How do we receive the word humbly? And James tells us, be quick to hear. Be quick to hear. God meets us at the level of our expectation. We should be quick to hear what God has to say, listening with anticipation. Listening with anticipation. What is something that God wants to say to me this morning? That's a question we ought to ask ourselves as we walk into the room. What is something that God wants to say to me this morning? Maybe it's a song lyric. As you're reading, uh, as you're singing along, maybe it's a song lyric. Maybe it's something that's said during the sermon. But what is something that God wants to say to me this morning? That's listening. That's receiving the word with anticipation. Quick to hear, eager to hear, eager to hear, leaning forward when it comes to the message, having that notebook and that pen out ready to write something down, jot something down as you hear something that's said or read something on the screen that's said. Now we have the benefit of these dumb phones where, um, and they're only dumb phones because I don't know how to work them completely, right? So it must be the phone and not me, right? But you can, if you see something up on the screen that you want to grab, you can take your phone out and snap a picture of it so you can keep it later. 
Second thing, he says, be quick to hear. That's how we receive the word. Second thing, slow to speak. Mm. 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 Okay, slow to speak. I don't have much to say about this one. Next one. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Have you ever noticed how many ears you got? Two. How many mouths? One. Mm. What do you think that should remind us of? To listen more than we speak, maybe? But here's the deal. Here's the deal. When it comes to receiving the word, because that's what we're talking about, or that's what we're talking about, quick to hear, listening with anticipation, right? Listening for transformation, okay? Not just information, transformation, okay? All right? But then he's talking about quick, excuse me, slow to speak. Too many times when it comes to God's word, we argue. Too many times when it comes to something, and, and this is going to happen a lot over the next few weeks, as I was looking over this James series and this James study this, this past week, I was like, oh man, that's going to be a tough week. Maybe Ian can preach that one. Uh, oh, that's going to be, you know, like, and, and, just, and just, just, just looking through it, this is going to happen often, but when we hear something hard in God's word, when we see something, when we read something, oh, he must not have meant that. And we begin to argue. We begin to try to justify ourselves or our actions, even if not audibly, at least in our hearts and minds, we begin to argue with the Word of God, which then breeds in us, which James gets to, slow to anger, this anger towards God, towards His Word, that He would even say something, that a loving God would even have that in there. And so when we hear hard things, when we hear hard things, we've got to be slow to speak, processing them, taking them in and saying, okay, okay, God, I don't, I, and, 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 and God can take it, right? But, but okay, God, I don't really like this. I'm not really understanding this. Can you provide me, because we talked about it last week, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Can you provide me some wisdom on how this looks in my life? Can you provide me some wisdom on how this looks in my life? And so, Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Uh, I heard of a poster that read, Temper is such a valuable thing, it's a shame to lose it. Temper is such a valuable thing, it's a shame to lose it. It is temper... Uh, if you think about it, if you've ever worked with steel or have, ha, know somebody that's worked with steel, it is temper that helps to give steel its strength. But James warns us against getting angry at God's word, like I was just mentioning, because it reveals our sins to us. Because it reveals where we're weak. It reveals where we need some more work. Like the one who broke the mirror because he didn't like the image in it. People rebel against God's word because it tells the truth about us. Now, let me ask you something really quickly, and this ought to be an easy question. Let's allow it to be rhetorical just for the safety of everyone in the room. Okay? But I just want you to think about this, and I just want to show you something, maybe bring something to life. How many of you have this thing perfected? 
So how much more grace do we need from each other? Okay. If you just answered, yes, man, I got that thing perfected. I'm good, pastor. Have me preach next Sunday. We're going to let you preach for the rest of the time. Like forever. And we're also going to have a conversation about pride <laughs> and humility and honesty. Right? Not one of us, not one of us, not one of us has it all together when it comes to the Word of God. Right? And so how much more grace do we need to show one another when it comes to the Word of God? When it comes to the Word of God. Slow to anger. Slow to anger. Slow to anger. I've told this story too before. I was talking with a, I was talking with a mentor at, at one point and uh, he was asking me about the church, and this was back in the South Coast days, so this, this wasn't, you know, this, this isn't referring to Summit, okay? And you former South Coasters, we've come a little ways, um, right? But, but he, was, he, he said, you know, Travis, you know, what's going on? What, what do you need to do? And I said, I've just got to get them to see this, right? I've just got to get them to see this. And he very quickly and very, very dryly and honestly said, well, the first thing you've got to do is get rid of the get Like you're going to get them to do anything. And I was like, this is the end of our friendship. <laughs> right here. But he said, but he said, listen, he said, listen, walk in humility and shepherd. Shepherd. And so many times we get frustrated, we get angry with people because they don't believe like us, they don't act like us, they don't dress like us, they don't talk like us, they don't eat like us, they don't smell, you know, what, whatever the case may be, we get angry with each other, we get frustrated with each other, forgetting that they are just as much in process as you are. And so don't hold someone to a standard that you can't live up to yourself. Slow to anger. And then lastly, James says, here, receive the word of God with a prepared heart. Look at verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness, rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness or humility. Again, those, those words go hand in hand. The implanted word, which is able to save your souls. James saw the human heart as a garden. If left into itself, the soil would only produce weeds. Uh, uh, many of us know weeds. We're probably getting out in the garden. I, I, I've seen my weeds a lot over the last couple of weeks. I haven't dealt with them yet. I'm letting them just hang out for a little bit longer. Okay, but, but James urges us to pull out the weeds and to prepare the soil for the Word of God. Again, another Sunday morning practice that as we're driving to church, instead of arguing about where we're going to eat lunch today or arguing about where we're going to sit today or arguing about coming at all, maybe we ought to step back and take a deep breath and say, what do I need to get out of the way so that God might be able to speak to me today? Is there some frustration? Is there an attitude? Is there a, is there a sin that I, need to, that I need to pull out before I walk into the house of the Lord today so that God might actually be able to do something and this isn't a waste of my time or his? Man, James is fun. We have to get the soil ready to bear fruit. 
and then keep it ready. We have to get the soil ready to bear fruit and then keep it ready. So how do we prepare our hearts? I'm glad you asked. First of all, we confess sins. We repent of sins. And here's why that's important. And here's why we've got to talk about sin when it comes to preparing the heart. Because what is it that separates us from God? Sin. And so if sin separates us from God, we're not going to be able to receive from God if that sin is a wedge that's standing in the way. And so sin separates us from God, so we've got to repent of it. We've got to confess of it. We've got to get it out of the way, meditating on God's love, his goodness, his goodness. I asked the, the team this morning as we were circling up and praying, I said, what's one thing you're excited about today? What's just one thing you're excited about today? And before I could start praying so that they didn't ask me, somebody asked me, well, what are you excited about today? And as I thought and just processed, I said, you know what? God's faithfulness. Man, just pondering God's faithfulness. This event this past week, this event this past week, this event yesterday, this event this morning, all just point me back to God's faithfulness. And so meditating on God's love, his goodness, his faithfulness to you, sitting in awe of him and asking him to plow up any hardness in your heart. Any hardness in your heart. And then comes the attitude of meekness, humility, that when you receive the word humbly, it means you accept it. Okay, I get this. It may not be hard. I may not enjoy hearing this. This may not be the sermon that I wanted to hear today. And I've got a lot to do. I've got a lot to deal with when it comes to this message. But I accept it. I accept it as truth. I accept it. I receive it. I receive it. We don't argue with it. We don't fight for it. We honor it for what it is, the word of God. And we definitely don't try to twist it to conform it to our thinking or our comforts or what we would like it to say. So we receive the word in humility. Secondly, James gets to, in verse 22 through 25, we practice the word. Everybody say practice. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. We're going to have fun with this. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, the scriptures, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. When it comes down to it, it's not enough to just hear the word. We must do something about it. We must do something about it. We must do something about it. Uh, we, 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 we've, we've told this story before as well. Francis Chan had, had, a, had a daughter who, and he, he looks at her one afternoon and says, go clean your room. So she goes upstairs, clean her room. A couple hours later, she comes downstairs. She looks at her dad. She said, dad, listen, I want you to know, I memorized what you said. Go clean your room. I did, a, I did an inductive study on what it means to clean one's room. And, and, and I've got some friends coming over this afternoon. I checked with mom. She said it was okay. I've got some friends coming in this afternoon. We're going to go up. We're going to sit in a circle in my room. We're going to talk about what it would look like if I actually cleaned my room. 
What hasn't happened? The room hasn't gotten cleaned. How often we do that with the things of God, with the things that are in this book. We come, we hear, we, we even go and through the week as we're driving, we process things, we, we think about things, we ponder things. Hmm, I wonder what it looks like. And we, we go to small groups, we go to Bible studies, we go to dinners, we have conversations. What would it look like to actually do this? What would it look like to, 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 to make this happen? And we never do it. We never do it. We never actually do it. I heard a pastor look out at a room full of pastors one time and say, every church is one or two big decisions away from revival. But are we willing to put God's word into practice enough for him to move. For him to move. I love that story about cleaning the room, don't you? Many people have the mistaken idea that hearing a good sermon or going to a good Bible study is what makes them grow and get God's blessing. But it's not the hearing, but the doing that brings the blessing. God by the name of Warren Wearsby says this, too many people mark their Bibles, but their Bibles never mark them. Too many people mark their Bibles, but their Bibles never mark them. In the previous paragraph, James compared the Bible to a seed, but here he compares the Bible to a mirror. Why a mirror? When you think about what a mirror is useful for, it's useful for examination. The main purpose for owning a mirror is to be able to see yourself that's the reason, right? Some of you may need to do that a little bit more to see yourself. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I kid. And make yourself look a certain way to ensure that before you walk out, you're somewhat presentable. You're there, right? And James mentioned some mistakes that people make when it comes to the mirror. First, first mistake that people make when it comes to the mirror is they merely glance at themselves. They don't, they don't carefully study themselves as they receive the Word of God. They don't, merely, they, they don't study themselves as they receive the Word of God. It's frustrating. I don't know if it's a pet peeve for you, but I'll share one of, one of my pet peeves with you, okay? All right? Uh, I, 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 I shave, okay? Clearly shave. Um, and, and, and one of my biggest pet peeves is when I, is when I shave, and then I realize at like 10 or 11 o'clock when I've left the house that I missed a spot. It's so annoying, right? And then I get frustrated with myself, and I'm like, I missed a spot, and I can't wait to, you know, fix the situation. There you go. There you go. There's a pet peeve for, 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 for me, right? But well, one of the big mistakes that we make when it comes to the mirror is we glance at ourselves. We don't carefully study ourselves as we read the Word of God. We don't study ourselves as we read the Word of God. We might hear a passage. We might look at a passage and say, oh, I've got that. But there's something in there that God's really trying to speak to you and get your attention with. Secondly, because we merely glance at ourselves and we didn't study, we forget what we see. We forget what we see. Too many people 
mark their Bibles, but their Bibles never mark them. They forget what they see. A guy by the name of Rich Mullins, a singer-songwriter back in the 80s and 90s, loved him and wrote Awesome God. Um, one, of the, one, of, one of my favorite things about Rich Mullins, he never had to write a lyric down. When they would bring him in, back when they did CDs, you guys remember CDs, okay? Back when they would do CDs and they had the album covers and, and, and they had the, the song lyrics and the album cover, right? When they would ask Rich Mullins to send, them, send the song lyrics in, he, never, he didn't have them written down. And so he would, he would have to go into his producer's office, play him the song so that the producer could type the song lyrics into a, a, a document and then, and then put them in the, in the CD cover. Isn't that fascinating? He had never written a lyric down. He, never, he didn't forget why? Because his lyrics marked him. His lyrics marked him. My prayer for us is that the Bible would mark us, not, not, just, not just the information that we hear, but digging in to remember what we're studying, to remember what we're reading, that it would, might make a difference in our life and bear fruit. And the third mistake that we make when it comes to the mirror of the Bible is they fail to obey what the Word tells them to do. Again, hearing is not the same as doing. We hold endless meetings. We hold endless conferences and so on about topics like evangelism, church growth, etc. And think that we've made progress just by going and hearing the information and thinking it's going to come back and just happen by osmosis because we paid the money to go to this conference or we, paid, or we, or, or we made the time to have this meeting. But nothing wrong with those things, but they're not a substitute for doing. I fell into that trap really early on in my ministry, going to so many conferences, so many conferences, that I would come back and I didn't even have time to do the things I learned at the conference because I was busy preparing for the next conference. And so hearing is never meant to be a substitute for doing. And then lastly... James talks about sharing the word. Look at verses 26 and 27. If anyone thinks he is religious, does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. The word translated religion means the outward practice. So doing, the outward practice, the doing piece of Christianity, the service piece of Christianity. This word religion is used five times in the New Testament. Pure religion has nothing to do with ceremonies, temples, or special days. We've made all that up. We've instituted those things. Okay, and so our frustrations with religion have nothing to do with Scripture and the word that God uses here for religion in the New Testament. Pure religion means practicing the word of God and sharing it with others through speech, through service, and through separation from the world. So I want to unpack that for you as we close this morning. He says there, if anyone thinks he's religious and doesn't bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. How do we share the word of God? The first way is through speech. Through our speech. Through our speech. Through the words that we say to one another. Through the words that we say to people outside of the four walls of the church. It is very counterproductive in the house of God 
And chances are, if you've been around the house of God for more than five minutes, you've seen this, heard this, experienced this, or even done this. It's very counterproductive to have a worship service like this, or to teach a Sunday school class like they're teaching down in the cafeteria right now, to do these things in the service like we're going to end in the next couple hours, And then before you can even get to your car, talk so negatively about other people in this room. Or get in the car, and once you're in the confines of the car, close the door and say, hmm, pastor had a bad week, didn't he? You're laughing because it's you, isn't it? I wasn't even going to mention the hat. Anyway, it's so counterproductive. It's counterproductive. Well, we talked about it last week. Jesus, in his high priestly prayer, John 17, as he's on his way to the cross, he prays to the Father that the church, that, the, that, the, that those who would believe, that if we're a believer in Jesus today, he prayed for us on his way to the cross, that we would be one as he and the Father are one. He prays for unity, and yet through our speech, the fruit of our speech is ripping each other apart instead of building each other up. Criticism, criticism, Instead of accountability, there's a huge difference. There's so many references in James' letter, in his short little letter, again, 108 verses, to speech, giving the impression that his readers, that the person he was writing to, were having issues with their tongue. Can you believe that? That they would have had issues with their tongue back in the day? I mean, we don't have that anymore. Why is this so important? Because it's the tongue that reveals the heart. Words matter. Words matter. And so we must watch our speech. Does it reflect the glory of God? Just because I can say things doesn't mean I should say those things. Just because I can say certain words, do they glorify God? Do they edify the people around me? Do they cause confusion of the people around me? Does my speech glorify God? Does it, that just, just because I can, just like free soloing, just because I can do something doesn't mean I should do something. Come on, bring it full circle. We like to do that so much when it comes to our tongue. We like to just let it loose. But James says we got to watch it because words matter. Words matter. Words matter. I was really convicted about something recently as I was, as I was sharing this. Um, have you ever noticed that the nicest things that people say about someone are said at their funeral? Don't let that happen. Don't let that happen. Make sure that if you feel an affection towards somebody, if you're inspired by something in somebody's life, tell them about it. Tell them about it. Tell them about it this side of heaven. Don't celebrate it in a room where they're not present anymore. Tell them this side of heaven. 
Tell them, hey, I, I love this about you. I've noticed this about you. Man, you're a great dad. You're a phenomenal mom. I love, I love watching you worship. I love how you do this. I, 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 et cetera, et cetera. Words matter. Second thing, through service. We share the word not only through speech, but we share the word through service. After we see ourselves and Jesus in the mirror of the word of God, we must see others and their needs. James puts it as this, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, he's saying this, he's saying, notice those in need. Notice those in need, in their need, and serve them there. Meet them there. Meet them there. Visit them in their affliction. And to keep oneself unstained from the world. From the world. Words are no substitute for deeds of love. They're important, but they're no substitute for deeds of love. God doesn't want us to pay for others to minister as hired hands, as a substitute for our own personal service. That's not the point. We have opportunities all around us. We have platforms all around us that God has given us to serve Him, to give back to Him, to love Him, to be faithful as He has been faithful. And so as we close down, there's two things that I want for you here. Uh, we, 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 don't, we don't do this often. Maybe we should do this more often than not. But I, but I, but I, I never, man, I, ne- I never like Sunday morning or church feeling like an infomercial for Summit. Right? Because that, that's lame. Okay? Like, we're here for the Word of God. But here's the deal. You're here, okay? You're here. You're giving of your time. I want you to know what I pray for for you and what our leaders are praying for for you. We just took an elders retreat a couple weeks ago, and we, we, I'm, I'm a big fan of those big white post-it notes that just stick on the wall, and then you can write. And, and don't worry, we have the markers that don't bleed through the paper and mark up the walls, okay? We're really thoughtful, and we think through those things like that, okay? All right? So, but there were two things there were two things that really came to the forefront. There were two things that really came to the forefront that we pray, that we want for each and every one of you. Because of the Word of God, because of the work that we're doing here with the Word of God, because of the things that we're investing that we want for you. The first one is this, a relationship. We desire, we're praying for, we're trying to equip and and make room for relationship. Now, two relationships for you mainly. Number one, a relationship with God, right? Obvious, duh, D-U-H, right? Church Church doesn't provide an avenue for a relationship with God for you, a deeper relationship with God for you, then you need to run. Are you in run, sprint, fast, away from there, okay? We want to stir your affections for Jesus. We want you to see that you're nothing without him. John 15, for apart from him, you can do nothing, but abiding in Christ is, is hugely important for you in your everyday life. We want to stir your affections for him and point you to him. I can't change anything in your life. He can change everything in your life. 
I can't save you. Your mom and dad can't save you. Your brother and sister can't save you. Your uncles can't save you. He can save you. And so we want to point you to him. Secondly, a relationship with each other. A relationship with each other. I want a church, and I, I don't know if this is happening because we don't really have the church hallways where we can see these things happening. I mean, we've got this giant hallway right here, but I don't really get out there in time to see. But, but I long for a church. I long for the church. I mean, the big C church, right? Uh, we might be a little bit further away from that. I can't control a lot of those things. But my prayer for Summit Church is that we would be a church where we don't duck anyone in the hallway. Where even though we have differences, we don't, again, we don't look alike, we don't smell alike, we don't have the same taste in music and sports and other things, movies, uh, clothes, fa fashion, cars, all those things, right? If you're not a Ford guy in here, just hook up, I'll take you, okay? Okay, right? But, but the, that all of those things are okay and we can get along because we have Jesus in common. That is all we need. It's all we need. And so a relationship with God and with each other, the unity that Jesus prayed for. And then the second thing we, will, we hope for you is responsibility. That you don't come and just soak in information after information after information, but that you put that information into practice. Visit orphans and widows in their affliction. I think we have a group of people meeting today to talk about a disability respite ministry to do that, to, to, to give to Ukraine, to go to Mexico, to, you get the point, to be involved outside of these four walls. Listen, God did not send Jesus to the cross so that we could sit here and be comfortable and hear good sermons and listen to cute music. No. So that we could fall in love with him and go stir the passions for others to do the same. That's the point. Not our comforts, our calling. The gospel is not about your comforts. The gospel is about your calling. And so responsibility. Responsibility. A place where you discomfort yourselves for the sake of Christ. And that may look like waking up earlier on a Sunday morning than you want to to come in here and set up. It might look like teaching kids. It might look like, uh, it, it, it might look like um, waking up on a Saturday morning once a month and cooking breakfast. It might look like, you know, uh, you, get, you get it. Uh, we're we're going to have some big opportunities. Uh, the, the school system has just asked us this past week. They called me Monday and said, we've got a big opportunity for your church. We need 30 holes dug four feet deep. And we need the posts that are going to go in the holes stained and treated. And I'm like, sign us up. Sign us up. So you'll be hearing about that, by the way. BTW. Just slip that right in there. All right? But what a huge opportunity for us to get our hands dirty. To get our hands dirty together. Together, the shared experiences. When we took our elder retreat, look, and just so you know, we're modeling this. When we took our elder retreat a few weeks ago, we went to Lincoln, New Hampshire. Buddy mine's a Loon Mountain chaplain there. And uh, I, I was calling him to, to set up some things for our elder retreat. And I said, look, you know my heart, my hope, my hope for our, our elders is that we can get away and serve together. So you know what we did for like two and a half hours on the Monday morning of our elder retreat when we're away and we're, we're supposed to be, you know, I don't know what we're really supposed to be doing. It was the first elder retreat we'd ever taken. We cleaned out a garage for this guy in a basement for two and a half hours, and we served together. That went so much further than sitting in a room 
and debating anything. And it was awesome. I saw some strengths come out of these guys. I saw some weaknesses come out of these guys. It was awesome. And I've said it before, I'll say it again. You're never more like Jesus than when you're serving. And we're called to be like Jesus. Paul to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians 5.1, imitate Christ, therefore, as his dear children. You're never more like Jesus than when you're serving. So we have two focuses for you. Two focuses. The first one, deep, deep community. Deep, deep community that pushes you to Jesus and that draws you into each other. That's our desire for you. If that's weird or quirky, tough. Because that's what we're desiring for you. That's what we're desiring for you. That's what we need from each other. That's the, that's the gift of the church. Deep, deep community. And the second one is this. We're going to take this command very seriously. Again, I believe it's to, to Ephesus. Equip the saints for every work of ministry. Responsibility. We want to equip the saints for every work of ministry. If me, Ian, Dylan, and Kristen are doing all of the ministry at Summit Church, we've got an issue. We don't have one issue. We've got four issues. And so we want to equip the saints. We want to equip Brian and Judy to do marriage ministry. We want to equip others to do, we want to equip Ken Jones to press that arrow on the keyboard to run the video on Sunday mornings, because that's all it is, right? As he nods his head. We want to equip you to do the work of ministry. Why? Because it's so much better when everybody has a role. It's more fun. It's more fun. And we believe it's biblical because of what we see here in the book of James. To hear the word, to draw together, to not rip each other apart with our speech, but to build each other up with words and to serve each other, to serve our community well. That's our prayer in response to this text. The worship team is going to come. And I just want to ask you, as we're closing, when it comes to receiving the word, when it comes to doing the word, when it comes to sharing the word, what's your strength? No, again, don't, 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 don't audibly, but I just want you to think about, man, what just comes naturally? What comes easy to you? What doesn't come as easy? And as you hear, as you hear me kind of wrapping up and talking about deep community and equipping the saints, what stirs in you? Yes, I need deep community. Yes, I need responsibility. What would be your response today? What would be your response today? That if you could sit and say, you know what, Pastor Travis? Uh, I've been passive when it's come to my Christian faith. I've been passive, and I need to plug in with relationship. I've been passive. I need to plug in with serving and responsibility. God didn't call you to a passive faith. He called you to an active faith. And so I ask you today to ponder, to consider, to pray. God, what would you have me do in response to this? I'm going to pray for you. We're going to sing a song, and then I've got to come back and give you two announcements. Sound good?
God, what would you have me do in response to the word today? Father, call us. Call us out of our comforts. Call us to action. In Jesus' name I pray.